Um, <clears throat> Reader Church, we are in part 11 of our series, um, The Gospel According to Genesis, and today's message is entitled, The Creation of the Garden of Eden. So if you know a little bit about Genesis, you know it means the beginnings, or some would say the origins. And so we looked at the origin of the heavens, the earth, the universe, and everything. And <clears throat> many of our modern problems um, are, can be, and I think many of them can be resolved with understanding um, our origins. And so we have <clears throat> modern problems with ancient solutions. And I was thinking um, this week, and this appreciation of a number of things, uh, appreciation of the fact that the month of February is dedicated to remembering black folks that have done, done good things. Um, in this world. And this month in March, we recognize women who've done significant things for the gospel, um, <clears throat> like Annie Armstrong. So Annie, I, I, wanna, I want to bring more context to this, but Annie Armstrong was a courageous lady that really yielded herself to the Lord to share the gospel. So we remember her, and we continue to keep her work. And Rooted Church, I want you to know, is a fruit of Annie Armstrong's ministry. We, we are funded through Annie Armstrong. We're funded through the Send Network um, and we're not a, I just want to say we're not a part of a denomination. We're, we're a network of churches for the gospel that we're together with, for the gospel. We don't typically always use the D word um, in, in our circles, but we, we knit together and we partner together. We're a fellowship of churches for the gospel um, to extend the gospel locally, globally, and internationally. So there's other folks that we recognize. I don't know if you recognize names like Leonardo da Vinci or George Kaylee, or even um, the Wright brothers. Um, those are the two gentlemen that, on the coast of our own North Carolina, attempted to fly and make the first airplane. But these three men, um, Da Vinci, George, and the Wright brothers, made and thought through the early origins of aeronautics, principles of mechanics and aerodynamics that are involved with making a helicopter and an airplane. And many of these same principles and original designs are used with airplanes today. All this to say, um, when I think of the modern problems we face today and the struggles we face in this life today, we can go and we must go back to the originator of this world the originator of marriage, the originator of life, our creator God. Um, I picked up this quote from a friend of mine, also the former pastor of Amy and Andrew over here. Um, his name is Patrick Cho, but he says this on, on social media. I, haven't, I don't quote social media often, but I love this, and it's so true. He says, when people try to redefine what God defines, they can't help but make a mess of it. You catch that? When people try to redefine what God defines, they can't help but make a mess of it. I want you to know, in the very beginning, God set up the perfect world, and it was flesh, it was fruitful, and God gave everything, and the first people made a big mess of it. And we continue to make a mess of it today. And <clears throat> in this message today, we are reminded how to bring order back to this world. 
how to bring our lives around the gospel. And in one sense, not in the perfect sense, but in a principal sense, in a sense of God giving and extending his blessing, we can experience, again, order in this life, and at the same time, with a hope to come in the future where the full circle will take place. And so you'll see what this looks like. Um, <clears throat> two weeks ago, we talked about the sixth day of creation where men and women, the first man and the first woman were created in the image of God. Um, that's pretty much all it said. And, and in today's message, in chapter 2, is really taking that, those few verses, particularly verse, chapter 1, verse 26, and it's going to amplify it in verse in all chapter 2, what happened. And so I want you to know chapter 1 and chapter 2 are not in conflict with each other. Basically, chapter 2 fills in more details to that one verse, verse 26 of chapter 1 in Genesis. And then last, last week, just as we get a little bit of reminder of what happened last week, last week we looked at day 7 of the creation week, and we're reminded that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And then on day 7, God ceased to strive. He, he rested. And he did this to set up the, the weekly rhythm for us as human beings, that we would work hard six days and rest well on the seventh day, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, that we would cease striving and do things that would help us um, as human beings to, to rest. And so today we're going to look at a number of verses, Genesis chapter 2, I mean, yeah, 2 verses 4 through 17, and we're going to further understand day six and also two key origins that will help us to understand God's design back then that would benefit us today. So the two key origins we're going to look at is the garden and, <clears throat> and the law. And you're familiar, most of us are familiar with these, but they, they, they play out and they're important for today and you'll, you'll see why in so many ways. And if we would just get this, it would go a long ways that to align us to God himself and his will, that we would enjoy long life on this earth and his, his blessings. So origin, origin 1, the garden, verses two, uh, 4 to 14, um, we're looking at the Garden of Eden. I um, just want to give you a quick theology of gardens in the Bible. Um, you see them on the screen. There are literally four gardens that are talked about in Scripture. Um, <clears throat> the Garden of Eden, where sin entered. We also, where Adam and Eve called the first home. Um, we also have the Garden of Gethsemane, where Christ yielded his life um, and, and also cried out to the Lord. We have the Garden of Calvary, um, where Christ actually died and was buried. And we have a heavenly paradise garden in Revelation 21. So we kind of sense see the whole picture of God's redemptive plan through four gardens. Look at that. And so um, <clears throat> what Moses does here in Genesis chapter 2 is basically Moses describes God's first home for the very first couple. And so in, in this passage, um, uh, we're going to see the, the design of this new home, and we're going to see the setup before man and woman came on the scene. We're going to see the garden without man. And so I'm just going to read this and you just kind of try to picture um, what this looks like. For sure, only the creator God could have given this information, this history to Moses to write this down because Moses was not born yet. Um, it just wasn't possible at that time in history because how do you know, how do you write about Adam before Adam was even 
born. Um, so this stretches way back before Adam was created. And so here's information that the Holy Spirit <coughs> gave to Moses through God divinely. Verse, so we're in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and, and the earth when they were created in the days that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And so straight up we see that God created the heavens and the earth. Um, it was made, the heavens and the earth were made divinely. It wasn't made by a big bang. I know that most of us were indoctrinated <laughs> by the schemes of the evil one in, in our public schools to believe this. I've said this before in this church, and I'll say it again. I remember as a youth pastor, my first pastorate, we took a survey of the, about 50 kids, and about 45 of them said, I'm a product of the Big Bang, and I came originally from monkeys that evolved. And so then I would ask them, so your great-great-great-great-great-grandparent was a monkey? And if we go back further, further, further back, your great-great-great-grandparent was uh, amino acids. And so if I would say, you know, you're from amino acids, don't be offended at me because that's essentially what you're telling me you believe. They're like, what? My parents were from whatever, some other country. And no, I'm not really a monkey. I'm not really amino acids. Which is it? Anyways, verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the, <coughs> of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land. It had not rained yet at this point. That should blow your mind. God, God has set, set forth these days, but yet had not rained. There is no man to work the ground. So what, what, what's happening here? God has made the perfect world, the Garden of Eden. Um, he created all this before man existed. And who created it? It was the Lord himself that created this world. And it was the covenant God. Um, he made all these things according to his sovereign, creative design. You want to know how creative God is? Just look at all his creation. Um, we see in verse 6, his divine design in this previous verse, and now here in verse 6, what's going on in this garden? <clears throat> we see here in verse 6, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Do you guys remember what's going on here? Day 2, Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, there's a heavy mist that was characterized in the earth in this very early day. And the change of temperature between night and day was sufficient to cause what? Daily evaporation from this body of water, condensing and making dew, making water. So it didn't need to rain. There is this evaporation that was creating rain that was able to nurture the plants on day two. And day three, was <coughs> before the plants were even created, there was a water and um, atmospheric system where it was moist. And so that's a little bit more of what the garden is. Um, I'm going to drop you down to Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, and we'll circle back up. But I want you to see the rest of the topography, the land, the geography of the Garden of Eden here. Um, we see this, the richness, God's beautiful design here in, expanded in, in terms of geography on day six. Most theologians believe that the garden was somewhere around the Persian Gulf today. Um, we don't know exactly for sure because there was this great event where a lot of water came. And that's known as what? The Great Flood. It covered the whole earth. 
And so it changed the topography. I mean, you just think of your little sandcastles you make on the ocean, and water comes up, washes your little sandcastle away. Well, guess what? Our whole earth was covered with water, and the topography was changed. I believe rivers were altered, continents were reshaped, um, oceans were redefined. So this all happened, and we'll look at it more in another series one day when we talk about the flood and, and Noah and all that stuff. But what the, <clears throat> but I do want to say that we know at least this to be true pre-flood about the garden. Verse 10, a river flowed out of Eden to water, to water the garden, and where it divided, it, <clears throat> it became four rivers. The, first, uh, the name of the first is Pishon, and it, <clears throat> it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Hevelah, where <coughs> there is gold. I, I'm just reading this. I'm sure the Bible's been around for a long time, um, several hundred years. I'm sure when people read, got to Genesis chapter 2, verse 11, and there was gold. And I'm sure people probably try to go to those areas of the world and try to find the gold. You know, what, what do humans do, right? They want gold, so they'll try to go where the Bible says there's gold. And so we see in verse 12, and the gold of the land was good. This is high-quality gold. It wasn't cheap gold. It wasn't fake gold. It was real, legit, high-quality gold. I don't know how, how high the quality was, but we know it was good in this land. Um, we see that there's another element there, um, <coughs> bedellum, which is uh, gum resin. Um, it had a unique color. That's the picture next. The one on the top right. And there's another thing called an onyx stone that was there in this land. Um, <coughs> the onyx stone refers to like a claw or fingernail. Onyx is basically layered um, chalcedony. And basically it forms bands around it. And supposedly, this stone is mysterious. A lot of people um, over the years have seen it as like a sacred stone or a spiritual stone, and others have claimed that it has medical benefits if you use it. I haven't done all the research to see how true it is, but I'll just put out this. It's a special stone. Um, <clears throat> so it looks like that on the bottom right. Verse 13, the name of the second river is the Gahon. Um, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. Um, some people believe that modern-day Ethiopia may be Cush. We're not 100% sure, but some people believe that, so I'll put that out there for you to munch on. Verse 14, and the name of the third river is the Tigris. You see that there, which flows from the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And so those are the dynamics there of the rivers of Eden. So now I'm going to circle back. Um, in this garden, so God created this beautiful garden without man initially with four uh, amazing rivers. I imagine that the land was lush, amazing plant, um, <coughs> and agriculture there. And so now God basically um, provides and creates the first man. And so we'll see. Um, what happens here? J jump back up with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, And the Lord formed the man of how? Of the dust of the ground. 
So hu- human beings, the first man was made out of dust from the ground. Okay, There wasn't a body of water where amino acids became something that was living and it crawled out and later had legs and so forth. And you know the story. This account from Genesis said the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and then the Lord breathed into his nostril the breath of life and the man became a living creature. So um, <clears throat> the Hebrew word for man is Adam and that's where we get Adam. Also, this word Adam is closely worded to the Hebrew word ground, which, which is Adama. Um, so Adam and Adama refers to Adam and the ground. And <laughs> this ties this idea that God, with his divine hands, used the earthly ground to form the first man named Adam. And so um, <clears throat> we see that God made the first man, and he breathed the breath of life in him. And so he made human beings, this first man, a living being. And he also made this being, uh, the first man, a being with a soul that would last forever. Human beings have souls. Other creatures that we talked about before in Genesis, the land one, the air ones, and the water ones, none of those have souls that will last forever. Only God made men and women with a capacity to worship him. God gave them a soul that will last forever. God made us, in one sense, physical beings and eternal beings, and he's given us a soul that will last forever in one place or another. God has definitely given us the capacity to enjoy him, to reflect him, to delight in him, and he made us for, guess what, eternity. He made us for eternity from the very beginning. That was his plan, to live for us to live eternity with him. But we find out we find out later that something else happens. And God's plan A has a plan B and a detour, but he sets up another plan to set things back into course. So moving on to verse eight and nine, we see a little bit more of what um, Moses wrote here. And the and the Lord God planted a garden a garden in Eden, and in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Where did he put the man? In the garden. What area of the garden? The east side. So we just have some details to put our minds around. Verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that was pleasant to the sight for our eyes. Um, so you can see. And also plants or trees that were good for food. Basically provided um, a way to eat from these trees. So we see that the Lord God who created Eden was what? He was kind, he was gracious, he was generous. Um, he provided everything for this first man to, to live and to enjoy. He wasn't lacking, lacking anything. And so we see this picture. Um, this is the original setup um, in God's world for man. God is the loving king and ruler of this world. And he's placed this first man, Adam, to rule this world, to be satisfied with what the Lord has given him. And in one sense, to, for Adam to yield his life to this gracious king and creator of the world that, that, that he just made, God made for Adam. So now let's pay very close 
um, to these next verses. It gets very interesting for Adam and all of humanity in verse 9b. In this garden, there was a tree of life. Remember this tree. There's a tree of life in the midst of this garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So how many trees are there? That There's a lot of trees, but <laughs> they're singling out two trees here. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So two trees to pay attention to. Um, and so basically, God is setting up a, a test for Adam, a test of loyalty, a test of worship, a test of obedience. And so these two trees are different than the other trees in the garden. One tree is geared to produce eternal life, and the other tree is geared to produce knowledge of good and evil. Um, and so one basically is life-giving, and the other is, I'll say, death-giving. Um, and so we're going to look at these two trees and, and consider a third. The first tree I'll be honest, the theologians don't have a ton to say about these trees because the passage doesn't say a, a whole lot. But we're able to surmise a reasonable amount between these two trees. Um, tree number one, the tree of life found in verse 9, is a real legit tree, but it has a special property, and this property is to sustain eternal life. And we know that it was located and placed in the center of the garden. Um, this tree, the tree of life, sustained life for mankind or these first human beings and specifically it was there to sustain Adam and Eve's life in the garden and so that's the first tree the tree of life the second tree is the tree of knowledge of good and evil so this one gets a little bit more interesting God put this tree out there um, and gave it the title um, in one sense as a test um, by God himself for these first parents, Adam and Eve, um, who are tried, who are tested, and to determine, in one sense, whether they would live uh, <coughs> and experience good or bad under, under God as king, under his kingship and his authority, or will man seek evil and claim his own authority and his own kingship and seek to rule his own world by himself and thus be his own king? So will man either obey God or disobey God? Will this first man, Adam, seek to yield himself to the king of kings or seek to be his own king? And so that's the setup here. The tree of knowledge symbolizes, in one sense, God's authority. To, <coughs> to, eat of the, to eat of this tree would mean to disobey God and break this very first command and occur the penalty of death which was read earlier. So a little bit more insight. Roy Zuck, who writes commentaries out of Dallas Seminary, says this. This knowledge was experiential um, from the second tree. The, the good and evil, this refers to the thing that <laughs> things that protect life and that destroys life, would be experienced if the forbidden fruit were eaten. The potential for catastrophe was great if Adam and Eve, in self-confident pride or hubris, overstepped their bounds or circles of blessing and grace that God had established with them up front. So this is the setup for this tree. God has given all the blessings 
necessary to live life and enjoy life, but if they wanted to violate God's law, there would be consequences. It would be a catastrophe, and they would break the boundaries that God set up for them, and thus what? Experience evil, and that would include death. And so that's the second tree. So this is the setup for Adam and Eve. And I want you to know, like, in terms of theology, Adam also is referred to as the first man. Also, if we throw in more theology, he serves a federal head for man, so he represents all mankind. So some people may look at what Adam's going to do and say, oh, you know, he messed up, I would have done better. But really, Adam's really representing everyone, and what every one of us would have done is we would have failed, and we would have rejected God's goodness and grace and given to temptation and eat of the second tree. So Adam holds this crucial role as a federal head. And then in view of tree one and in view of tree two, there's a third tree I would love for you to con consider, and I'll call it the tree of Christ, Christ the Redeemer, the thread from Genesis to Revelation. And so for sinners who eat, for, for listen carefully, those of the tree of life cannot be saved by partaking of the tree of knowledge. The tree of knowledge will only bring death and the consequences thereof. And so only by the tree of Christ can one re be redeemed from the curse of the, cr of the tree of knowledge. So I do want to point to the third tree, and we see this um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 through 25, it says here, he, referring to Jesus himself, bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God on the third tree for your sins and mine, so that by faith in him we might be holy, that we might be right, that we might be fit for what? Heaven and fit for life in the garden once more. And so maybe I'll throw out a question here. Are you ready for Christ's return? Are you ready for future judgment? I think there's only a yes or no answer to this question. But now, since we just looked at the origin of the garden... This plays itself over and over and over in our life today. We could choose to live and walk the story over and over and give into temptation and eat of the knowledge, tree of knowledge of good and evil, good and evil. Or we could learn the lesson and we could learn why God has given us this first law. And we'll look at the origin of this first law. I've been touching on it here and there. Now we're going to walk right into it or on it. Um, origin... Number two, the law in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. This is very important to put our mind around the first law from the first lawgiver, God himself. We see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says here that the Lord God took man and he put him in the garden to do a couple things, to work it and to keep it. God gave mankind a responsibility, a task, but I don't want you to see it as a minimal task or oh, a dredging responsibility. He gave man a high calling 
to serve him in the garden, to serve the king of kings, um, to hold an honorable um, calling, um, to fulfill the cultural mandate, to, to make, to tend, and to work and to keep this garden, and to do so in such a way that it would honor the Lord. Um, and they do good work. And today we get to, we have the same opportunity to fulfill the cultural mandate, to glorify God and show off God's um, creative genius and creative wisdom um, in the way we work. And it shows and demonstrates a little bit what our God is like and how we work um, um, in, our, in our context of work. In verse 16, so... I'll say whatever kind of work you do, whether you work in food services or work as a garbage man or work in an office or work on a computer, do all your work unto the Lord for His glory. Be the best you can be in every arena that God has placed you in to do honorable work, to show off our Lord working in your life. Verse 16 and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat it, you shall surely die. So a few things I want to draw out here. God gives a crystal clear test, a crystal clear choice, um, an opportunity to show and express worship or not, um, to, to obey or disobey. And so God gives the command. The command here is one command, and the command is to eat of the trees of the garden that give life, um, that shows off God's generosity. Um, <clears throat> and he gives another command, not to eat of the knowledge of good, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So he gave one law, and one forbidden tree. And he gives the consequences. He says, if you eat of this tree, this forbidden tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Okay? Um, some people have communicated to me, Gary, um, it says in this verse, I'm going to go back to this, it says, for in that day th that you eat of, this, of it, you will surely die. And so they're kind of coming back out to me and saying, hey, Gary, this word day is interesting. Does it mean 24 hours too? Is it referred to 24 hours in that sense? And so I just want to use this as an opportunity to say context is king. As we were driving hard through Genesis 1, those verses all define what a day was. There was morning and there was evening. There's morning and there's evening. There's morning and evening. In this sense, it uses day differently. For in the in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. So it's referring to someday out there, but when that day happens, you will surely die. And so the next question comes up, if I know a lot of you guys know Genesis chapter 3, but Adam and Eve didn't die when they ate that fruit. They didn't die instantaneously, but they did. When they ate of the fruit, they died spiritually at that moment. They were at that point cut off from God, and sin entered into the world. We know that from Romans 4, 3, 4, and 5. And if they would have remained in the garden at that moment in an unholy state, God would have had to also do what with them physically? Take them out. 
But the Lord, we know the story, was kind to remove them out of the garden so that they could live physically and give them opportunity to start the rest of humanity uh, from that point. But they did die spiritually, and they would die eventually physically. And so we know this law to be true because what? Everyone in this room will one day die. You could freeze yourself and try cryonics and let me know how it works, but you're basically dead, all right? Whether you die and you thaw yourself out and try to live for another 20 years, you're still going to eventually die. I don't know if cryonics work, right? I, I shared this story back in the day. I like, tried to uh, you know, freeze my fish and thaw it out in the microwave to see if it would swim again. It did work, all right? You can try it at home. Or if you have hamsters or other things, you guys freeze them and see if you can thaw them out. It won't work, all right? Anyways, crazy, all right? Don't do that to a human being. That would be called murder, all right? <laughs> I'm just saying goofy stuff now. All right, so there's consequences for sin. God was, Adam was a perfect creature living in the perfect paradise, but he had this unique opportunity. He has a capacity to worship, to choose to worship, and also what? Capacity to sin. And we know the story um, he gave in the temptation, he failed this test, and sin entered into this world. The temptation of eating of the forbidden fruit was high for him, and he gave in. Um, and so there's uh, some key, key lessons here. I don't know if anyone's interested in the field of aeronautics, but we, we, we're thankful for Da Vinci and the Wright brothers and George for everything they contributed to aeronautics, especially if you guys use planes. So much more, our life would be so much better if we would consider our creator, the originator of both the garden and the law, and remember these lessons. Guess what? Who faces this experience in the garden of being tempted, tempted by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil every day. We face this temptation every single day, do we not? It's called the forbidden fruit. We give into this, and we what? Experiences consequences. And you, and looking at it, just like Adam and Eve, you're like, man, I'm going to know stuff, I'm going to experience stuff, and guess what? He suffered major consequences. The same token, when we, go, when we consider this next slide, the law, there's Ten Commandments. Every one of these Ten Commandments is for our good and God's glory. Um, when we don't worship the Lord, we experience consequences. When we put idols in our life, we experience consequences. When you don't keep the Sabbath, when you don't go to church, you experience consequences. I, I was, I've been texting some people who we haven't seen for a while. They're like, Gary, I'm taking a break from church. I'm taking a Sabbath from the Sabbath. You know, what's that? A Sabbath from the Sabbath. That's not the Sabbath. And these are our friends, and we need to go minister to them and encourage them back to whether this church or another church. Seriously, the Sabbath is for our good. Um, we don't take a Sabbath from the Sabbath. Um, that's ridiculous. Um, I just call that, you're just walking in sin. And if you're not in community, I guarantee you, you'll find more sinful things to fill your life with. And all the rest of the seven... Ten Commandments are for your good. These are laws for your good and God's glory, for your protection. 
um, to bring blessing so that you won't experience the consequences and cursing, but God's good and His grace in your life. And so there's much to learn. So I'll stop here. Is there much to learn um, from our Creator in the garden? I would say yes. Life is best if we go back and yield our life to what? Tree number three. And that is what? Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Music team, let's sing. Church of worshipers, let's stand and worship. And I want to challenge you. Um, in this life, it is hard, it is difficult, it is fallen, but the Lord gives us an opportunity to enjoy Him in this life, to enjoy His blessings, to get a foretaste of eternity, to worship Him. Um, I mean, this, this week, I'll be real honest, I, I have wanted to die many times. My pain in my back is excruciating. Um, I take painkillers after painkillers, and it doesn't kill the pain. Um, and I just so long to be in heaven one day. Um, this little shell that I live in is just not that good. Um, so I'd be happy if the Lord would take me, take me home and be granted a, a new body. But the same token, as long as the Lord gives us life and breath on this earth... Brothers and sisters, don't waste it. Make the most of the opportunity of the life that the Lord has given you to do a couple things. To, to know Him more and to make Him known. To know Him daily through prayer and through reading the Word. And to make Him known. You know, I still have images of our media showing you know, a ton of people dying in the hospitals. Really sad, for sure. And like, dying of COVID dying of heart failure, and we would so want the answer to cure people in the hospital. But we have something worse than cancer and COVID. It is sin. Every single person on this earth is dying of sin every day, and it is terminal. They're going to die. But we have an answer, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is for you, the church, but it's also for the world. It's for the lost to share this gospel. It's not for us to hog, to hold to ourselves and say, I have it in my church or in my community. It is to share. It is to share. We have great free advertisement known as Christmas and Easter. If you cannot invite one person to come to church, or come to an Easter event. To, don't even tell them it's Easter event. Just say we're eating hot dogs and hamburgers and playing games. We're having a good time. And then we will try to love on them. And we'll share the gospel. You can't invite somebody to hang out with you. If you don't have any friends, something's wrong. If you cannot invite and something's holding your tongue back, something's wrong. Something's wrong with your spiritual heart. You have some seriously sick arteries that need clogging. Your spiritual arteries, they're clogged by sin and idolatry. And you seriously need to repent or deny Christ as your Savior and deny Christ as your Lord. We can put you in the baptism take, and take you out and rework these things backwards. I don't want to do that. It's ridiculous. Live the resurrection life that you committed to, the public profession of faith that you professed. 
in a few weeks, there are a couple people, two, three, four people that are interested in baptism. Man, we want to rejoice with them. We want to celebrate with them. There are young believers. Uh, one of them is my son, who said he faked his baptism seven, that's a lot of years ago, and he's going to re, re-baptize himself. That's, that's crazy stuff. And there's a couple others. The, the most excited thing that I get most excited about is baptism. That's, that's a huge deal. Because you see God's created work of the heavens and earth in the new creation in a human being. Does the gospel matter enough to you to share to somebody? Some of you have been Christians for a long time and not have shared the gospel to people. You just <laughs> And you don't invite people to your groups. You don't even pray for people. It's like you think God is powerless to bring someone to Christ. But if you, that's why we share testimonies here at Rooted Church, to remind ourselves of the gospel. David was once hell-bound to hell. It's only by God's sovereign grace that God would change a wretch like him to save him, to make a man like that. You guys know what David is like? A man of full of grace and full of truth. Not by his doing, but by God's doing in his life. Does the gospel matter? I don't know what it is. It feels like the gospel has become like a cool word, like sus and chill and let's chill out and let's chill from our Sabbath and let's chill from Jesus. And our brains have been whacked by, by Satan. We need to reshape it with the gospel. Be informed by truth. And this truth is supposed to have a net effect that it should set us free from our sins. And if you're a true believer, what? We want to love each other and flock together just like sheep and goat. They herd and flock together just like fish. They what? Swim in schools together. Believers, we need to flock together. Come together. Encourage each other. So that what? When I touch Brandon, I'm like, ah! I touch a sense of God's work in his life. It's hot. There's a burning fire in Brandon, and he touches me. Ah! And we're warming each other up for Jesus Christ. That's why we come to fellowship. We come so wishy-washy here and there when we feel like it and we're not feeling like it. I don't know, washing our hair, getting a tan. I don't know what's going on sometimes. Come and commit. All right, wash your hair at night or in the morning, but come to church. All right, you don't need to dye your hair every which color. Seriously, just come to church, dye your hair, color hair another time. There's a time for everything, is all I'm trying to say. And there's a time to be in fellowship. And do so regularly and do so intentionally. And if God moves you to another church, plug in fully, not half in, half out. Plug in fully, be invested, be all there. I don't know how long people need to sideline themselves from church. I don't know how long you need to transition. But transition well. Ask the Lord, bring me to a new church and plant me well. That you'll be all there. All right, that's my rant. All right? But seriously, God has given us this community for our good. And I want to thank Katie and Tommy for being all here in their 10 months here and being a blessing to Rooted Church. Sometime in church planning, they talk about church and scaffolding. 
um, there's some serious scaffolding that took place around Katie and Tommy in the last 10 months. There's a ministry known as Ruta College that didn't exist 10 months ago. I'm thankful for that. And when they move on, I hope that we could continue to build that. But we would do it together. Not everyone needs to be in college ministry or young adult ministry. But when you see them here on Sunday, you know, encourage them. Build them up. Go out to lunch with them. You know? And then when college ministry focuses on, pray for that ministry. Now let's sing. And now, next Sunday, we are having no lunch here. We're having it with King's Cross. And by God's grace, if your feet work, and if your back is broken like mine, you know, someone, there's a couple in here that want to buy me a walker. They're like, they're asking, is a walker okay, Pastor? I'll take a walker, a cane, a back brace. But I want to get the gospel out. If you want to get the gospel out, let's stand, church. No lunch next week. We're going to do that with another church, or you could go home and do whatever. But my primary option, lunch with King's Cross, one hour of walking. Let's get the gospel out. Let's pray. Or let's sing. Let's go.